0: Today's teaching text, today's scripture, comes from Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good
1: morning. Oh, it is such a joy for me to be here with you today. I, as Pastor Matthew has said, we just recently met, but we became close friends and um, realized that we're kindred spirits. So I was delighted that I was able to come out and meet you all so quickly after that and during the beautiful season of Christmas as well. Oh, So I didn't just come by myself, though. I brought the whole family with me. So first thing I want to do is show you a little family picture. Now, we took this just about a month ago during my book launch party. They all came out to support me. I've got um, my husband, Mickey, of 20 years this year. And I know, right? Um, And uh, he works with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Northwestern University. So we're neighbors. We live in the area. Uh, And then my two kids, Seth, who is 12 going on 13, and my daughter, Hope. So we're all here with you today. Now, some people are curious about my last name. It's Sanchez um, and wonder what that means about my own ethnic background. Well, I'm African-American 100%, um, but my husband is very Latino. Uh, He is Colombian-American. And so my last name comes from him. But what that makes our family is Afro-Colombian. Now, I don't know if you remember, there's another very famous Afro-Colombian family, and I like to tell people, we are the closest you're going to get to meeting a family like the Encanto family. (laughs) So let me just say, you know, today's your chance. (laughs) Well, again, we we are really, really delighted to be here with you today. So... We're gonna be talking a little bit about the meaning of Christmas. What is Christmas all about? Now it's supposed to be about Jesus. We know this. But we also know that many aspects of Christmas have been co-opted. It seems now that Christmas is about everything and anything but Jesus. We we don't need the Encanto picture anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to focus people on Jesus. We're gonna like you don't have to show any slides right now. No slides. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) so we'll come back to that. (laughs) Right, so we're trying to focus on Jesus uh, for the season of Christmas. So a couple ways, you know, that we get off track. Now, although Christmas is supposed to be about this lowly servant who has come to earth and given of his life generously for us, Christmas now predominantly is about consumerism, you know? It's about buying or receiving as much as we can get. Or I think about the colors of Christmas, you know? Red and green. Do you know the origin of the colors red and green? There's a lot of Christian folks who try to add some, like, Christian meaning to it, but I'll tell you, Historians agree it's really because of, wait for it, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola ran ads starting in the 1930s all the way through the 1960s that featured a chubby white guy, Santa Claus, uh, along with the colors red and green. And really, that is how the colors red, green, and white became the Christmas colors. So Coca-Cola really is the original taste of Christmas. You know, most of our Christmas traditions are harmless, fun, like hot chocolate, or mistletoe. Others are downright silly and a little weird, like the bad habit of ugly Christmas sweaters. None of these are bad in and of themselves, right? But they can be a little distracting. They can distract us from a truer and deeper understanding of Christmas. So let's take some time to remind ourselves of that today. And to do that, I want to explore three words, three things, and the words are contradiction, cry, and calling, okay? Contradiction, cry, and calling. So the first one is contradiction. Christmas brings a contradiction. Recently, my daughter Hope asked me a question. She said something like this. This might not be the exact words. Mom, I don't get it. Why are some of our Christmas songs so sad? Why do they sound so sad? Right? I mean, isn't Christmas supposed to be this happy, merry time? I think about songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. It's a sad song, right? Right? And it's a great question. My daughter noticed that in many ways, the Christmas season brings us this beautiful contradiction marked in some ways by both sadness and joy. Let me say, so this contradiction, I guess I've always known about this in my mind, but not as much in my heart until the COVID Christmas of 2020, which I'm sure many of us will never forget. So, for me, I'll admit it, Christmas has always been many things, including, frankly, it's been a merry bubble, okay? During the Christmas season, I like to put my hardships and challenges way behind me. I want to focus on all things merry and magical. If it is not merry and magical, I don't want to hear about it on Christmas, okay? But on Christmas Eve of 2020... Mickey came down with a fever. Christmas Eve. And let me remind you, this was before there were any vaccines available. We were terrified because my parents had come to visit. Both are not in the best of health. My dad is severely immunocompromised. And we were, I admit it, one of those families who had not taken Dr. Fauci's advice in 2020 to stay home for the holidays. But we figured, you know, what are the chances, especially on Christmas? Now, I knew in my mind that diseases do not take holiday vacations. But in my heart, I simply couldn't fathom the possibility you know, that, that anything could pop my Christmas bubble. But COVID did. So Mickey, indeed, tested positive for COVID-19, and one by one, the disease ravaged through our family. Could not believe it. Again, in my heart. So during our COVID, of, COVID Christmas of 2020, perhaps for the first time, like in a serious way, my precious Christmas bubble popped. My parents rushed home immediately on Christmas Eve. Now, they live in New York. We live in Chicago. They drove all the way home in a rush so that they could isolate. And starting with Christmas Eve, our holiday was essentially ruined. We were, again, most worried about my dad, who has the most serious underlying conditions. He got very sick and very quickly. So it was a very, very scary time for our family. Eventually my disappointment turned to anger toward God. How dare God allow my Christmas bubble to pop? Did he not get the memo? This was not merry or magical. Doesn't God understand what Christmas is all about? Well, in the midst of all that darkness, God replied, darling, you may not remember, but death has always been a part of the Christmas story. Christmas is a contradiction. It's not only about light. It's about light that comes in the dark. And that darkness is deep. It is so deep. That darkness is why my son had to come and die. And then God drew me back to that least popular of Christmas stories, King Herod's Massacre of the Innocents in Matthew chapter 2. Now, most people know, or may know, that Christmas is derived from two words, Christ and Mass. So in the Catholic Church, when they get together on Sunday, that is called the Mass. So you combine the words and you have Christmas. Everybody loves to celebrate Christmas. But not as many people have heard of Childermas. You may have seen that in the bulletin and wondered if it was typo. It's not a typo. Childermas is an actual thing. You can Google it. It's also a holiday in December, and it comes from two words. We typically celebrate this commemorated, I should say, on December 28th. And the two words it combines are children and mass. So this is the children's mass. On Childermas, we remember the massacre of the innocents, the slaughter of all the boys two years and under by King Herod in the birthplace of Jesus Christ, right around his birthday. We don't typically sing carols for Childermess, do we? It's certainly not as popular as Christmas, but it too exemplifies the meaning of Christmas. There are many works of art that have been done to depict the massacre of the innocents, and I want to show you two today. So the first painting is by the German artist Peter Paul Rubens. This is his work called The Slaughter of the Innocents, painted in 1638. Now, as you can tell, the emphasis here is on the darkness of Christmas. The realities that we prefer to forget that the earliest of Christmas memories included death and conflict and chaos and seemingly meaningless suffering. The Bible reveals to us in this story that these things came on Christmas. But now I want to show you a second painting that begins to reveal the beautiful contradiction of Christmas that we must never forget. This piece is called The Triumph, of the Innocents, and it's by the British artist William Holman Hunt, painted around 1884. So what stands out to me about this gorgeous piece is the warmth and the joy and the light in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of this awful tragedy that has occurred. Here we view the reality that these children have passed from death to life the reality of everlasting life. Mary is glowing with a supernatural peace, and Jesus appears to be holding out a harvest of wheat branches, promising he could repurpose these tragic events for good, bearing much fruit for his kingdom. I've long loved this painting, but recently I noticed some things for the first time. I noticed that there are bubbles all throughout this painting. Okay. And as you know, I've already mentioned bubbles a few times today, right? Now, these are not the merry magic Christmas bubbles that I prefer. Later on, after painting this, Holman Hunt actually explained the meaning of these bubbles. He pointed out that underneath this procession of the children, there is a river. And that river represents the river of life. The bubbles we see are emerging from that river. And they're playful, right, like kids. And guess what? When you look at the largest bubble, more closely, the one right in the center of the painting, too small for you to see up there, yep, but you can Google it. In the very center, you can make out a very tiny image. And it's a little picture of the tree of life. It's very cool. You have to look real hard for it, but it is there. The river of life, the tree of life, these things featured prominently in this children's painting to remind us God can and he will bring life from death. He will bring light in our darkness. That is what God does. It may start out small, like a mustard seed. It may be hard to see, but God is at work. This is the ultimate meaning of another passage that, you can take this down, thank you. This is the, other, uh, the ultimate meaning of another passage that comes just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew. Matthew four sixteen. on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Christmas teaches us that a great light has appeared to us in the depths of our darkness and despair. Christmas is about a light that has dawned in the shadows of death. These things are contradictory, right? There is death, yes, on Christmas and on every other day, but Christ has come as our life. There is darkness on Christmas and on every other day. But Christ is our light in that darkness. And the darkness cannot, it will not, overcome him. Christmas can be far more beautiful, so much more meaningful for us, to the extent that we can hold these contradictory realities together. You know, we spoke about Christmas traditions earlier a lot of which are frivolous and silly, but there's one that I think really represents the heart of what Christmas is about, and that's our tradition of putting up Christmas lights. I brought a picture of Lightscape at the Chicago Botanical Garden, right? And they do such a beautiful job putting up bright and beautiful lights in a very dark place. That is exactly what our God does and is about. You can take it down, thank you. So, Christmas, it brings us this contradiction, a beautiful contradiction. Second, the word cry. Christmas invites us to cry out to God. Sometimes the contradictions of our world can be truly unbearable. The darkness seems so much darker than we can handle, and it is hard to remember the light. So, what can help us on that journey through the darkness of this world? For that, we can actually go way back into the calendar of the Christian church, the spiritual practices of the Christian church for wisdom. On the Christian calendar, this is the season of Advent. And it is beautiful to see how many churches are picking up this old practice. It teaches us it's not Christmas yet. Advent is meant to be a somber season of waiting in hope, waiting in darkness, before the celebration of light and joy. In this way, Advent reminds us and it teaches us how we can navigate the beautiful contradictions of Christmas as well as the contradictions of life. Now, Advent is also an opportunity for us to engage in an ancient spiritual practice, one which is no longer as common or familiar to most, and that is the practice of lament. Lament. The practice of lament is a gift to us from God designed to help us find our way through the dark. In our pain, God does not expect us to just remember the light and then be merry. God understands we need to let out the pain that we are feeling in order to make our way through it. Now, rather than saying a whole lot about what lament is and how to do it, I want to focus today on actually engaging in lament together. We'll do that toward the end of the service. I know you've been engaging in spiritual practices each week through Advent, and I absolutely love that. So we'll engage it together. But what does it mean to lament? Lament can be defined as a prayer of pain that leads to trust. I'll say that again. Lament can be defined as a prayer of pain that leads to trust. When we lament, we turn to God, we bear our heart, we're raw before him. We ask God for what we need and what we would like, and then we place our trust in him. We learn how to lament most clearly from the book of Psalms. And so, The book of Psalms will be the basis for our prayers of lament today. In the Psalms, you'll notice there are four key movements to lament, which you'll find in your bulletin. There's a little picture there for you. And those four key movements are turn, complain, ask, and trust. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. You know, sometimes people hear the word complain and think, wow, is is it really okay to complain to God? There is a scripture that says, do everything without grumbling and complaining, right? That is true. But the Psalms teach us something else. What they teach us is, you know, the kind of complaining that really bothers God is complaining about God. (laughs) But he actually invites us to bring our complaints to him. Those are very different things, okay, my friends? God wants us to be real and raw, because the, then He can meet us where we actually are. As we embrace these movements turn, complain, ask, and trust, we will learn how to navigate our journey through the darkness of this world and to remember the light. Finally, Christmas reminds us, this is our third word, of our calling. So we have contradiction, we got cry, and then calling. So Christmas invites us to cry out. As we know, COVID made 2020 dark, but that's not all that made 2020 dark. It was a particularly dark year. Darkness also came in the form of a historic racial reckoning in our nation and in our world, one which we are, of course, still grappling with. Now, after the killing of George Floyd and too many others, we witnessed remarkable things. We witnessed a groundswell of interest and energy around questions of racial inequality. We saw protests sweep the nation. And I was surprised when I learned that we now know these protests were the largest in US history. It's really remarkable when you consider that and you think about all the protests like the civil rights movements of the 60s and all the protests we've had, no. These ones in our lifetime, just a few years ago, were the largest ever. So there's no doubt that during our lifetime, a new kind of racial awakening has begun. Yet, this awakening's also been different in kind from what we experienced in the 60s. So during that uh, movement, what really captured people's imagination was forms of racism that are more obvious, overt, in your face, right? What captured people's imaginations was interpersonal racism, racial violence, Jim Crow laws, as all of them should have caught our attention. But we don't grapple with those as much anymore. Praise the Lord, this is progress. But our generation's experience has been experiencing racial inequality in different ways. What is now capturing people's attention and their imagination and concern are forms of racism that are far more subtle, especially systemic racism and unconscious racism. I don't have a lot of time to explain exactly what I mean by those things. For that, you'll have to read the book. But these are the cause of the racial awakening in our, in our time, in our generation, and they're more invisible, they're subtle, often unintentional but nevertheless still having an impact. So, you know, I'm a discipleship leader. I'm a discipleship leader. And for the past two years, it's been my quest to understand the link between following Jesus and resisting all forms of racism, including these newer forms. So I've been asking new questions in the dark. Questions like, how can disciples of Christ understand these more subtle expressions of how racial inequality manifests today. How can disciples of Jesus partner with God in the pursuit of racial justice and racial equality? How can disciples of Christ participate in this moment of our time? Well, in this season of learning and lamenting and growing, I began to search for resources for all ages, that would clearly demonstrate how following Jesus and engaging in anti-racism are connected, but I couldn't quite find what I was looking for. So then I wrote them. (laughs) I wrote the books that I couldn't find, but I wanted to read. And I am happy to talk with you more and share with you more about those after service. But my prayer is that also in this form of darkness that we continue to face, that these... Resources would be a source of light in our darkness to adv- advance God's kingdom in new ways and, of course, help us to become the ambassadors of reconciliation that God calls us to be. Christmas reminds us of our calling. We are called to be light and to join God in his work of healing a broken world. So, brothers and sisters, this Christmas and this children I invite us all to live into these three words. Christmas is a contradiction. It is a reminder that darkness is our reality, but that also in this darkness, Christ is our light, and this light cannot be overcome. Christmas invites us to cry out to God how to make it through the darkness of this life, We can learn from the Psalms and lament to God in our honesty, bringing our complaints and raw prayers of the heart before him and rest in trust of God. And finally, Christmas reminds us of our calling, our calling. Our world, newsflash, is broken in a lot of different ways. We've just touched on a few today. Racial inequity and contagion. There's so many more ways it's broken. But this is why God has called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. People need to be reconciled to Jesus. And people need to be reconciled to one another across all our sad polarizations and divisions. In this beautiful contradiction that is Christmas, on this earth, and in this life, disciples of Christ are called to both see the light and to be the light. O Lord, may it be so. Maranatha and amen.